Curio Ladies, and this is the Curio Podcast. Curio. 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 Hi, everybody. We're back. My name's Cass. My name's Kim. And you have found your way to the CurioPodcast.org. Yay. <laughs> so, Kimmy, what are we talking about this week? We are continuing our empathy series, and this week, number 29, <gasps> we're going to talk about empathy and depression. Dun, dun, dun. Dynamic duo. And you are sitting First here with time. two experts. Yeah. Lucky, Not trained. Lucky us. <laughs> <laughs> we spent our whole life training. By ourselves. For this one podcast episode. Oh, we talk a lot about mental health. Well. Which is a good thing because in days past, mental health was a highly taboo issue. People Mm -hmm. didn't discuss. Well, and it it helps. I, that's one thing that I've been realizing through doing this podcast with you and even doing research for these, these empathy episodes was that talking about my own mental health issues and the mental health issues of my family members it helps it helps Mm -hmm. you feel not so isolated right yeah Yeah. and it's and there we all have our issues everybody does you know and the more honest we are about them I think the better chance we have of changing certain behaviors and kind of diffusing the emotionality around certain things like with depression I know that I can feel I can go to a place where I'm depressed and then I feel bad that I'm depressed which is right you know that's just crazy (laughs) (laughs) sorry I can say that right now but (laughs) no pun intended pun intended so Uh, what did so what did you find Oh, my Lord. I found all kinds of stuff. I found a really fascinating um, research paper. I did not bring it with me. It was was very, very technical, and it was mostly based on their research practices and um, statistics, diagrams. um, They're the groups that they pulled information from. A lot of it was self-reported, too, which is kind of a fuzzy area. Um, when finding out about how people's brains work because everybody's got kind of different ways of describing that and different ideas of how it's actually going down. Um, I did discover that there are two kinds of empathy. There is, sorry. There... (laughs) I also have copious notes. I mean, like, pages. I drew pictures. Refer back to the overthinking episode. (laughs) But it was really fun and it was really enlightening. And I talked to a lot of people too, which was also really interesting to get different perspectives. Um, Cognitive empathy and effective empathy. Right. So cognitive empathy um, is centered in the mid-singulate cortex in our minds, in our brains. um, And it's action-based. It's more like there's this, I'm feeling really bad for this group of people or this other person. Mm -hmm. And so how do they feel? What can I do to help them? Um, 
and then moving forward with action and helping them um, either one-on-one or writing letters if it's about a, a group of people. Um, it, the ability to be objective and not internalize right. the, um, the empathy. Now, the effective empath <laughs> is a more emotional based empathy right ziggy's here he's i'd say he's a cognitive empath he's investigating right now yes he is so cute um and that is centered in the insular cortex so the more basic part of the brain uh yes okay yep um the part that does not really involve higher functioning yeah problem solving and you know Mm -hmm. um uh, causes burnout, um, anxiety, depression, anxiety, empathy, distress. It's more common in women. Um, uh, it can involve placing others' needs before one's own. Um, they did, I heard on a podcast, and I think it was, um, Steph, you should know. Did mm-hmm. you listen to that one? Mm-hmm. They talked about the monk. Um, a Buddhist monk, last name of Singer, I believe. And they asked him to practice these two kinds of empathy. So the cognitive-based empathy mm-hmm. was very easy for him to perform. He was able to meditate on that, um, could have done it forever. You know, it's just kind of results in compassion and that whole cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, the effective empathy he reported as being very, very difficult to maintain. Like he could get there and do it, but it was just, it was hard. And uh, he felt like he was just getting burned out, kind of chewed up and spit out by it. Wow. That's interesting right now in this this time that we're in that a lot of people are feeling burned out because there's so much going on. I feel like people aren't able to, and this is just my own opinion and assumption but people aren't maybe able to let things go before the next thing comes up and so it's overwhelming right right we don't have time to process all of the stuff that's coming at us right and that's just across the board I mean information comes at us even if it doesn't involve empathy yeah it's just it's overwhelming right it's overwhelming so at some point in the middle of the week Kim texted me super geeked out about this she (laughs) has printed out a research paper with a dictionary and a highlighter and she created her own little research project do you want to tell everybody what you (laughs) came up with so what i what i what i did was i started to think about the empathetic people in my life people that i could easily identify as being empathetic and um, i started with family and then i went to friends um, I wrote down their names and then just qualities that I saw in them that I identified as being empathetic qualities or aiding in empathy. Mm-hmm. And it was a really interesting exercise. I also took into consideration upbringing where I knew, you know, how that person, what their childhood was like to some mm. degree. Um, uh, religious affiliation or none. Right. Artistic expression the compulsion to do that or not because some people just don't 
have that interest. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really, really cool. Hold on. She's gotta go through her copious I've got to go through the copious notes. So here I'm we sorry. go. I've got a cold, everybody. I'm sorry that I sniffed. Cassie's not feeling top of her game. <laughs> She's going to be okay. So, um, and then I went through and uh, listed the traits and then kind of tagged them as to whether they were a cognitive empathetic trait or an effective empathetic trait. Wow. Which was also very interesting. And they mostly they were the same. You dive deep, um, girl. Except for a few. So, um... Patterns that you've seen. Patterns. Just the ability to love unconditionally. Oh. You know, and that I think that's maybe just kind of the crux of it. Just to be able to love unconditionally, mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, uh, openness. Just general openness and, like, the psychological sense of open. You mm -hmm. know, you're you're not passing judgment on everything that's coming at you. You're not, um, uh, yeah, placing values on certain behaviors right. and that kind of thing. Um, interest in others, just a general interest in other people, just the ability to be interested in others yeah. as something that's just part of your daily goings on, right. you know? Um, let's see, uh, the ability to kind of think outside the box again with openness, it's kind of the same thing, but creativity, creativity, yeah. the, the ability to, um, kind of flip the coin, see the other side mm -hmm. and the interest again to do that. What about the religious um, affiliation? That was really interesting. Because I can tell you, I thought of five people that I know, uh -huh. um, and Which, none of them have religious affiliation. What traits did you identify in them? Um, they were all creative, very yeah. creative. Um, all of them but one is an introvert. Okay. Um, and all of them but one has very few friends has a smaller circle a smaller, of friends. That was yeah. also on my list of how how those people and were did you identify them as effective? I didn't. And or cognitive? I didn't. So, I did that. <laughs> I did that with my list and I found that there were a it was almost well, I think it was I I'd, I'd say a third of the people that I identified were religious. Oh, um, but what kind, like an actual organized religion? So, yes, okay. actually, or an actual organized religion. <laughs> um, and so I, I found that interesting. And also a few of those people that I identified as religious seemed to have a conflict. They were mostly effective, um, empaths uh -huh. except for one and she's just kind of an exceptional person off off the charts right. anyway um so i have a little bit more to say later on about the whole kind of guilt depression empathy 
crux. ecosystem right. that happens, which is kind of weird. Different anyway. Um, but yeah, the the non-religious folks um, had a really firm sense of self, mm-hmm. a really good idea of who they are, um, very good at self-expression, wow. non-judgmental. Um, um, interest in justice, yeah, and forgiving. Um, this one person who is she is deeply religious. I have always known her to be so, but her religion, as she interprets it, is absolutely compassionate, and she's a Christian. Yeah, but it's all about compassion. So. My understanding of Christianity and what I've heard from different people is there's kind of the punitive authoritarian branch. Right. And then there's the, you know, Jesus loved everybody. Don't be a dick. The hippie branch. The hippie branch. And so she's definitely from the hippie branch. Yeah. And um, uh, she's able to anticipate others' emotional needs, very interested in justice, very open, enthusiastic, active, supportive, um, forgiving um, and does not, she, she doesn't inject her religion on anybody ever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She just walks it mm-hmm. as she sees it. Um, and as I said before, some of the religious people that I did identify seem to have conflicts about, I think, just their innate, um, just their ability to be empathetic. Mm-hmm meeting this kind of authoritarian punitive thing right you know this this authority in their life that says that people must be punished um that if you've sinned you're going to hell that if you've sinned you're going to hell that there are consequences for poor behavior so i think when that comes into play when all of a sudden there are consequences for poor behavior and the poor behavior is being uh, poor is being <laughs> or being black? Sorry. Well, it's being dictated by someone else. It doesn't come internally. It's somebody else telling you this. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like maybe that's part of where the effective kind of uh, disconnect happens mm-hmm. because it's not all internalized. And I don't know. I mean, that's just me talking out of my butt. I don't. Do you even... think that there's a a correlation where those pe- people that are religious that have that conflict in them are maybe uh, I don't want to offend anyone more intelligent than other Christians who just sort of maybe follow the line they toe the line I'm not sure I kind of came to the conclusion that Empathy, empathy is, I think, I think we all, if we're, if we're treated properly when we're young, when we're babies and young people, I think it's a natural way to be empathetic. Mm -hmm. But I think as we grow and experience the world in different ways throughout normal human development, Mm -hmm. it can get buried and there become really dysfunctional ways of dealing with it. And like part of that I think happens 
I think religion kind of injects itself in there as an easy way to Well, you and deal. I have had that discussion before for many years about uh, that, that it's like religion can be like a prepackaged dose of morality for you. So you don't have to do it yourself, right. basically. Right. That you can say, oh, I'm a Christian. I prayed. He took my sins away. Whatever. Right. Um I'm I'm just curious about people who do that, who give their brains and their quote souls over. They and just check buy out. that prepackaged morality versus someone like the person that you were describing, a compassionate Christian who walks the walk. Like, mm -hmm. what's the difference between those two people? Is it IQ points? Is it their upbringing? I'm, I guess there's no way to know, but I'm just. I yeah, I'm not sure. I think that again, I think if an if if a person who's effective I think the conflict So another idea I had was do depression and dysfunctional ways of dealing with empathy do those happen first and then affect the empathetic urge? Oh, so so say, OK, let's just take a young child who's loved, held, um, treated kindly, um, is taught to help others, watches the people around them be helpful and interested in other people. And then they get caught up in a system where certain behaviors are expected. Um, if those expectations aren't meant, there's punitive results there's shame we either, there's, there's shame there's guilt there's all this garbage gets piled on top of it mm -hmm. and then the empathetic person has these feelings of empathy and then how does that play out inside their head inside the paradigm of the dysfunction that has been created in there right so um Let's just say so that their religion would... says whores are bad, you know, prostitutes are evil. Right. But the empathetic person would be like, well, what led her there? What led her How there? Why her? is she there? What happened? You know, what a what a difficult life to lead. It must be frightening. You know what I mean? Like you just go through the whole thing. But then you've got this this authority in your life saying, no, that's bad, 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 bad. So then this young growing mind has a conflict. Mm -hmm. How do I deal with this? She's bad, but I feel bad for her. I feel bad because I feel bad for her. You know what I mean? Yeah, it starts yeah. to like get into this really mucky, weird area. And I made a, I made a flow chart. <laughs> Not kidding. So <laughs> here's my flow chart. You go, girl. For the here, you want to see? If, here it is. Oh my god. <laughs> This was today's work. So for a cognitive, a person who's, whose empathy is in the cognitive camp, um, I feel bad for X. What can I do? What do they need? Can I provide it? What can I do? And then this falls into a whole other category of pondering versus ruminating. Right. Being so, the ability to let it go. Right. To yeah. think about it in a really... Um, Outside of your own body yes. way. Yeah. To like, still. This is out here. It's not in here. Right. It's not about me. It's about this person. What right. can I do? So you do some creative problem solving. You take action. You connect. Mm -hmm. 
and then you release. You release it and move on, right. and you do the next right thing. There's no, there's no crazy negotiating or 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 weirdo mazes happening, as far as I can see on the cognitive side. Yes, it's just really basic stuff. Like this is how we do it. It's almost like no thinking. Right. Right. I doubt cognitives really have to think about it at all. It just comes naturally. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> the effective. <laughs> woo! So I feel bad for X. Uh, what have I done or what have I not done? So it immediately bounces back into the person. So they stop thinking about the person or people they, they want to help that they feel bad for. Yeah. It comes right back to them, and they identify with it. It's got to be about me. I did something bad. I didn't do the blah, blah when I should have done the blah, blah. I didn't send the note. I didn't send the money. I didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so then, <clears throat> then, <laughs> then it's my action, non-action is part of the problem. Guilt and shame. Should haves, could haves. Mm-hmm. So then the person gets, they identify as bad bad, bad, bad. You didn't do what you could have done. I didn't give the money to the homeless person, blah, blah, blah. Right. So then I feel bad for myself. Right? Shame, guilt. Shame. Yeah. And then as far as I figure, and this is all me, this is, there's no science behind this. <laughs> <laughs> so then it, so then my little diagram branches off and there's two branches. And one is the one on the left side goes to self-victimization so displacement right so now you have effectively turned yourself into a victim right i know people like this so then um so then you what do you do you blame x for the bad feelings about yourself so you started out having empathy for this person and feeling bad for them or these people and now it's like they made me feel bad. And I don't believe any of this is like top. Conscious. Conscious. Yeah, it's not, it's not right. top of the brain. This is all kind of an, a subconscious two-second journey. Right. So um, so then, you know, they blame X for the feelings and then resentment and then disconnection. Nope. It's bad. And this is where the judgment comes in. Oh. So... It is bad because it made me feel bad, right? So to a very young child, a child's mind, yeah. certain phase of development, if it makes me feel bad, it is bad. Like with our dogs at home, we didn't want them to chew shoes, so they'd chew a shoe, and we'd, we'd point at the shoe and say, bad shoe, bad! And the dogs would be like, ooh, bad shoe. <laughs> and they wouldn't bite, you know, they wouldn't go after the shoes again. So... <laughs> So then there's the resentment, the disconnection. So you've disconnected. Yes. And then depression, which then leads to apathy. Well, we were talking about this earlier, though. Some people are prone to depression anyway. Right. So you're saying that this could be like one of the triggers that could set off an episode. Possibly. Yeah. But I think it's, I think... For you think ease, it's like an ongoing cycle? It's kind of a cycle. Whereas the C's, the cognitives, they just pull the trigger and move on. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. This is how I move in the world. Uh-huh. I'm not ruminating about it. I'm not having a big discussion in my head about it. I'm not identifying with anything. I'm just doing the next right thing. 
I just realized I'm sitting here with a facial expression you guys can't see of like shock and like (laughs) happiness to finally hear something that makes sense surrounding this. So there are two there are two more branches. Bear bear with me, please on this, please. So for the ease once again. So uh, my action non action is part of the problem. Guilt, feel bad for myself, self victimization, blaming X for bad feelings. And then, instead of resentment, they could just go to denial of X's plight entirely and then project the shame back onto them. Back onto them. So, which kind of feels like happens in some religious yeah. beliefs, you know, that you... you but it's, it's an odd... It's an odd connection that's happening in my brain right now, like a chicken and the egg connection. Right. It's all... Like, did religion form because humans are apt to act that way anyway, and they need a framework? Or did, you know, a thousand years of religion cause generations and generations and generations of people to think that they're bad for having X thought or A action, you know, like... Right. Oh, this is interesting. It's it's so, like, as Becky would say, we need shovels, maybe a backhoe. <laughs> So then you deny X's plight and you project your own shame on them. You disconnect or deny, which leads to apathy. You just don't do anything. Right. You just don't care. And then the cycle again, re- the cycle continues. Um, on, on my third, on my third... <laughs> My third one, if you guys could see Your third branch. My third branch. um, uh, Action, non-action, guilt, shame, feel bad for myself, then bam, the depression. Oh, just straight into it. Just straight into depression, and then isolation and inaction, and then the apathy. Um, or, Or you hit what they call empathy fatigue, which happens with the effective empaths and it's like you just become overwhelmed you become overwhelmed with it and kind of frozen you hit the fatigue you get depressed because it's sad and it hurts and it's hard to process all of this information Uh and then the apathy and then you just kind of be like i I don't have anything to give. I can't, you know what I mean? The well is dry. You become frozen, which then leads back to depression. Because you feel bad about yourself. Because you feel, you know what I mean? So I personally feel like that's a more manageable way to deal with it rather than going into the blame, the shame blame game. Um, But you can see where that's a coping mechanism for some people. Right. Right. And if that's how they're taught to deal with right. it, then... And I'm thinking, like, maybe more men than women would do that. Like, yes. oh, I, f- I felt something. It's your fault. I'm feeling it. Yeah. Right. And men are not encouraged to be... Um, to talk about their feelings. To, to have empathy. Right. And another thing that I learned was um, when girls are in adolescence, specifically, you know, around puberty time, yes. they're 
their uh, their empathy goes through the roof. In preparation for babies? In preparation for babies. And um, boys, at the same point in their physical development, adolescence, puberty, their empathy tanks. Because they've got to fight the other boys for access to wombs? Probably. <laughs> I don't know, but that's when bullying... Oh. Bullying goes through the roof. Um, so I think that's a whole nother ball of wax. You know, I was thinking, well, how do you... Is there some arrested development that happens there? Is it a power play? You know, I think men are very interested in power, right. in control. Um, that's a whole nother thing. So do you think <laughs> from the things that you've read that... I guess it is like a chicken and the egg situation. Do you think that, like the people that you studied, tend to depression and that makes them more empathetic or they're more empathetic and they tend to depression? Is it too murky? We can't pick those fibers out? I think it's, I think everybody is different. I think, I think the basic parts are there, but how they all fit together for each person is totally unique. Well, that doesn't help me at all. I'm sorry. Because I'm one of those cuckoo effective people that I feels all the too. feelings. I am <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be better about how I express it, though. But it's, I mean, in that respect, it's hard because, like you said, chicken or the egg. So I'm depressed because of the way the world is. I'm not able to see the light. I'm not able to see the good things right now. Mm-hmm. Or is it all of that coming at us that then leads to the depression? And you had mentioned that you have, um, uh, is it major depressive disorder? Or I can't remember. Um, Yes. Major persistent. So just an underlying. It's been there my whole life. Yeah. And there it goes up and down. And I've never been diagnosed, but I could say the same about me. I would say the same about you, too. (laughs) So where did that come from? Were we born with it? Are we hardwired that way? Did something happen when we were little? I mean... I mean, all of it, I think. For me, all of it. But I know that my parents, when I was younger, I can remember them telling other people in the room with me there, oh, she's just very sensitive. My whole life I've been told I was too sensitive. You're too oh, sensitive. You're too sensitive. I know somebody else who was told that his whole life. Yeah. So Like it was a bad thing. Right. And that's what it felt like. It was always mm-hmm. like, like I was a nuisance. You're too sensitive. Right. Um, I'm saying that to, to say that maybe I was born this way. Maybe right. I've always been extra sensitive, extra perceptive, extra mm-hmm. aware of what's going on around me. And yeah, I cry a lot big whoop but um (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that there's There's nothing wrong with that no I personally think because yeah I don't know I I don't I I feel like we're saying right now that the effective is bad and that the cognitive or the compassionate is good and that's that's too black and white for this situation I think Oh, I think so, too. I think it's, I think, and a lot of what I read and heard um, portrayed them that way. The two different ways of 
being empathetic, that the cognitive was the healthier, better. Right. You know, it's definitely the more efficient way to be. Well, and, and it is healthier, but maybe it's a goal to work towards. And I feel like without even knowing these terms or knowing anything about that, there were two branches of empathy. Who knew that? Right. Yeah. Um, I feel like I was working towards that other side anyway, just because it is less emotional work mm-hmm. to apologize when you've said something stupid or yes yeah or do something instead of wallowing because there are children in cages at the border I mean we've had that discussion like I started to wallow and then got up and was like no do something yeah so I feel like I've been working towards that anyway but Mm -hmm. this is very interesting it is let's take a break when we come back we'll talk about what depression looks like and some helpful and not helpful things to say to people who are depressed. Ready? All right, and we're back. <laughs> so I wanted to um, just piggyback on the whole uh, depression slash empathy thing, and maybe give people some helpful t- hints to be more compassionately ep- empathetic towards people that they know who have depression. So maybe talk a little bit about um, what it looks like. And what right. to say and what not to say. I originally thought, you know, the the E empath, empathetic people really need the C empathetic people in Ooh, their yeah. lives. But then I talked to some people and I heard some stories and I kind of, it's a slippery slope again. And I think it depends on the people yeah. too. There's, there's a lot of individual considerations. I know that... Um, in my marriage even like my husband can be very like gruff and to the point Mm -hmm. and um i didn't get that in the beginning 
and he would say things that I'd be like, what? Like if I were crying or something and he'd say, why are you crying? And I'd be like, I don't know. And he'd say, well, stop it then. Like he didn't right. get it. <laughs> yeah. So the the weird the weird place that I've gotten to with that is that so I've had to train him what to say if he walks into a room and I'm crying. Uh-huh. He yeah. is to not try and solve my problem, not tell me to stop crying, whatever. I've had to train him over years. Do you have flashcards? Yeah. <laughs> so he's to put his arm around me and say, everything's going to be all right. Yeah. And him, that's all he has to say. And I feel instantly better. Yeah. I know that it's a play act that we do that uh-huh. I had to ask him to do. And he's willing to do it. But it's safe. It's safe. He's strong. Uh-huh. And... So me being a very, very empathetic and emotional person, I need him to not be right most of the time. Yeah, yeah. All right. So. <laughs> that was, I, the podcast I listened to, they were talking about that very dynamic. And they were like, some people, you do not want to be an effective, empathetic person right. like doctors. Right. You don't want a doctor to walk into your room and burst into tears and start wallowing about how you're going to die. <laughs> you want your doctor to walk in and say, okay, this is what's happening. And here's what we're going to do. Here's and, what we're yeah. going to do. Here's the plan. You know, you need somebody to take charge, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm out of control right now. Right. Just can stand you... there and be a rock, a mountain yes. for me to yeah. hold on to. Yeah. yeah. Can you just, yeah. Don't criticize. Don't. So peeps out there in peep land, um, people with depression look like every single thing you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of high-functioning people, um, you, can, you can't really tell that they're depressed. And I was surprised to yeah. find this out. Winston Churchill had persistent depressive depression his whole life. Really? Yeah. And, I mean, if you think about a person who accomplished something, he accomplished great things. You know, yeah. he basically saved the world. And he had depression. So there are people that are very high functioning with their depression. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I am that way in public a lot mm-hmm. to the point where even my husband, this this last major episode I had, he didn't even know. And I actually didn't tell anyone. And when was this? This was a year ago. Okay. Or more, a year and a half ago. Um, the first person I told was the person that I called on the phone to make an appointment. And they said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. Something is wrong with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and when I told my husband, he said, um, what? Right. Well, what's, what's wrong? Well, I don't know, you know. So people with depression can look like anything. And if they come to you and tell you that they are depressed... Or if you ask them, like, hey, you seem a little down, what's going on? And they tell mm-hmm. you, I think I'm depressed. Don't say to them, oh, you don't look depressed. Or have... What do you have to be depressed about? Right. You should get over it. Get over it. Snap out of it. Right. That That's oh, the God. worst thing you could say to someone with depression. Oh, because that's what they want to do. They wish that they could just snap out of it. But they can't. Oh, God. Which then makes them feel bad. Right. Guilty, defective, um, <laughs> wrong. You sound like you know what you're talking about. Shameful. Um, other ways that you might be able to tell from the outside that someone is depressed is that they suddenly become antisocial. You right. had plans to go out. Check and out. I know that I've done this to you where we've mm-hmm. had plans and I've, I don't feel well. 
Yeah. And that's all I'll say to somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I don't feel well, but the not feeling well part is inside my brain. Yeah. Um, if it seems like they've suddenly become a bad friend or flaky, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, laziness. If all of a sudden they appear lazy, um, if they look like they're hopeless, um, if they're having negative self-talk, they start talking very negatively about themselves Yeah, in roundabout ways. Um, crankiness, tiredness, sleeplessness, sleeping too much, um, smiling, having fun, laughing. Um, <laughs> It's so hard. <laughs> and I, I, I read something today that that struck it struck home with me about what it feels like to be de- depressed. Sometimes, it's almost as like it's like someone close to you has died, and it's the first time after that person's died that you've been able to laugh with someone, but you know that the grief is right behind that laughter. So. If you see someone that tells you that they're they're depressed, but they've just laughed at a joke, they're not faking their depression. Mm-hmm. They are trying to feel better. They do still find things humorous. And that depression is there waiting behind that that yeah. laughter. It's waiting behind that smile. It's and I think a lot of times that kind of behavior is um it's a it's a defense mechanism. It's a right. way to keep keep oneself safe. So if I'm yes. depressed and I have to be around other people, I do my very best to to, hide to it. buck up yeah. and hide it because <laughs> being depressed is like being a wounded animal. Yes. And it, that animal can get wounded by a freaking leaf falling on their head. Right. And so they're, <laughs> when I get in a really bad space, it's like... Who are the safe people? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's some people I will avoid no matter what because they're going to make me feel worse. Not on purpose. No. Um, just because I don't feel safe with them. Or they might make a f- some kind of flip comment. And right. I am so raw and so sensitive that I can't deflect it. I can't reason with it. I can't, I can't um, not identify with right. it. So I just close up. Yeah. You know, and I've, you know, there have been days when it's like, okay, I have to go do this one thing. And I go do it and I get it done. And then I go back home and it's like right back into the hole. Right back into the hole. Right back into the hole. I know oh. even going out to um, like a party or something where friends mm-hmm. are, I don't want one of them to ask me how I'm feeling Mm -hmm. because there's an avalanche of feelings that happen when someone says oh how have you been there's this it feels like someone has died like I I'm I'm out in the world and everyone's acting like everything's normal Mm -hmm. and inside I'm melting yeah and do you really want to know how I'm feeling right can I even say it? Can, can I, I tell you? Can or? I tell you without? Yeah. It's. Oh man. So um, really... I wrote down some things that don't help. Some sayings and things that you do that don't help. So <laughs> <laughs> not you specifically, dear listener. But um, yeah. So telling someone to think positively. Mm-hmm. They already are, are trying that. And they they don't need the additional shame and weight that you're putting on top of them, telling them to do it better. 
Yeah. Um, snap out of it is a one I've heard so many times. Oh, God. Um, just move your body. Go for a walk. Go for a walk. I I had a doctor tell me that. Well, maybe you just need to go for a walk. Oh. Get more exercise. Yeah. I do that already. Yeah. Trust me, a depressed person is already trying. And Sometimes they, they, it do, they're not successful at moving their body. Some days they're going to lay on the couch all day. But they're trying already. It's, um yeah, it, it's almost as if you're just unable. Unable. Absolutely unable to do these things. And to somebody who has never experienced depression, they're not going to get it. No, they don't. Um, it's just a phase. Ooh. Or what's so bad about your life? Uh. Um, you you should, don't seem depressed. You should be happy. You should be happy. Look how great you have it. Right. Trust me, we've already thought all of these thoughts. I even go and back to those thoughts have just made it worse. Right. <laughs> oh, I'm such a horrible person. I've got this great life that I can't even enjoy. Right. I'm shameful now. Um, I even go back in, in time, in history, and, and think to myself, well, my great grandmother had 14 kids. What am I complaining about? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I go back in time to shame and guilt myself if I'm feeling bad. <laughs> um, and the question, why are you depressed? Well, if I knew that, I would fix the problem. Yeah. So depression isn't the same as sadness because sadness is an emotion. Depression is something that lingers. It includes helplessness, irritability, pro problems concentrating. It includes actual physical pain in your body mm -hmm. um so it's a and it's a brain chemical thing it's too. a brain chemical thing so try to have a little more compassion when you're dealing with someone with depression because trust me we already feel bad enough that we're depressed yeah it's not like oh we're depressed and we're doing it to make you feel worse we're not sometimes just just listening just mm -hmm. being available so i wrote down some things you could do and those are on the list. Listening and being available. Yeah. Um, talk about it without judgment or advice. So if you think your friend might be feeling depressed, um, learn about depression yourself. Mm -hmm. Go read up on it. Um, be compassionate. Don't take it personally. That's a big one. Yeah. Listen without judgment. Um listen with open ears so you might have to hear something that's hard from your friend or loved one that yeah. that you don't want to hear but keep your face straight yeah keep your ears open and mm -hmm. remember love that's it yeah um so some things that you you might be able to say that could open the conversation i i wanted to check in with you you seem a little down lately or how can i support you um, saying you aren't alone, I'm here for you. Even if you don't understand how it feels, mm -hmm. just telling someone I'm here. Yeah. You got me. I got your back. Um, tell me what I can do to help. And tell that person that you're important. They're important to you. Yeah. I mean, that, that goes a long way. Um, I know that this last episode, the major episode that I had, I didn't even know what was wrong with me. I couldn't have even put the word depression on it if you asked. But, um, so my my husband is now very familiar with my depression. 
what it looks like what it looks like um and he's he's learned some coping strategies for himself mm-hmm. because it's not easy it's not it's not easy for the people in your home Mm-mm. it's not easy for the person experiencing it um and he's he will he will like insist that we go outside oh you've mentioned that before and yeah. that's for me outside time is is kind of an, a magic magical thing mm-hmm. um most of the time not always but he'll say in in the kindest most gentlest way he'll say i know you're feeling really sad right now i i know that you're very depressed and i also know that if we go for a short walk if we go outside for just a little while it might help you feel better mm-hmm. and he's taking charge he's showing me that he cares and He's showing me that he knows me. Right. And that's another part, I think, of depression is just the isolation. Yeah. It is the most, it's like being in a black fucking hole. Yep. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. And for somebody to reach their hand down there and grab you by your hair sometimes. <laughs> and it sounds, I, I don't want it to sound crass because it's not. It's a very gentle, kind thing when you do that with yes. somebody. And if they say no, Okay. That's fine. I'm here. I'm here. Right. You let me know it, whatever, you know, we can do. Right. Or I can do. Um, another thing that I've done to help myself is when I'm happy, <laughs> when I'm in a good place, I remember yeah. the depression and I revisit it and I make a mental note like like I'm going back and forward in time in my own little head and I think okay Kim you're happy right now and things are okay and you have a good sunny perspective and you can help yourself in the future when you get depressed again because I know I will yeah you know yeah and just accepting that and I've done that before I've referenced those moments in my head when I'm depressed and gone back and said, okay, it's not going to last forever. But it's like, it's like having your, your tongue in a vice and just, okay, it's gonna, it's gonna let go. I <laughs> You know, you just have to wait, yeah. but, but knowing that there will be an end. Well, that's what my therapist recommends. She calls it sensing in when you are happy, really feel it with your whole body. Make a mental note to remember that you can feel happy. Yeah. You're not, you know, when you get depressed, you're not always going to feel depressed. (laughs) So I think um, we are going to wrap it up there. Next week, next episode, we were going to talk about um, ways to be more healthy with your empathy and to practice those things yeah break the cycles sorry yeah break the cycles break the cycles um i had never mind (laughs) i had never mind too well i had an insight with the um the cognitive versus effective dynamic um but we can talk about that oh okay in the next episode. 
All right. Sorry, I'm I'm all over the place. I had to stand up. Happy trails to, to you until we meet again. again. Happy, Happy trails to you. Something, something, something. I don't know the words. La, la. <laughs> Do you like my sexy cold voice? Oh, you always have a sexy voice, kiss. All right, Quinn, we're going to do a second episode. Can you...